Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? We're going to dive right into the Bible this morning. Luke chapter 2. Luke is in the New Testament, and it's right after Matthew and Mark. And we're also going to go to Luke chapter 8, and then we're going to jump back and go to Matthew chapter 13. Um, But we're going to start right there in Luke chapter 2 as we continue our God of the Underdog series. An underdog, what what is an underdog? An underdog is someone that's expected to uh, lose in in a conflict or a competition. And we've been looking at different characters in the Bible that at one point in time had to overcome some underdog excuses or feelings or or thoughts that um, may have uh, been there. And today we're going to take a look at Jesus' life. And we're going to look at this excuse, this this thought that we might um, struggle with from time to time that no one recognizes my potential. And so look with me to uh, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start right there in verse 43. It says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8 now. At this point, Luke chapter 8, Jesus is in the midst of his public ministry. And it says here, starting in verse 19, it says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Flip back to Matthew chapter 13. Continuing to look here at the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54, starting in verse 53 actually. It says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet 
is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, um, we open our hearts this morning, our minds this morning to receive all that you want to speak to us today. Help us to leave this place with a greater faith and a greater understanding of your love and of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My husband and I began uh, full-time ministry in 1999. In 1999, uh, prior to that, we were at a, um, at a church up in Washington, and we were serving in ministry as much like many of you do, uh, serving uh, the youth ministry and teaching uh, youth classes and college classes, and we had youth small groups and and we did that, but in 1999, we had made a trip down here to San Diego to visit a church plant up in the North County area, and we absolutely fell in love with the city. We fell in love with San Diego. We fell in love with the church, and uh, God just absolutely knit our heart with San Diego. And ever since then, we, we consider San Diego to be home, even though we spent about a three-and-a-half-year stint out in Las Vegas. San Diego has our heart. And so in 1999, we started our journey in full-time ministry. Now, at that time, we were not in paid full-time ministry, all right? We were in full-time ministry giving our lives um, to the youth ministry and as youth leaders and, and serving in that capacity in the church. We didn't have outside jobs, and, and for two years, we, we did that. Well, after about a year and a half, about two years into that, into that journey, our pastors came to us and said, you guys are doing a great job. We love your passion for the young people, and Ben, we want to hire you as the youth pastor, and we want to license you as our youth pastor and license you as a pastor. And Ben and I were overwhelmed with excitement and gratitude, and, and we, we were understood the impact of that and, and the weight of that, and so we were very excited. And in the midst of the excitement, though, um, I had some internal wrestling that I was going through. Uh, prior to that, I had seen husbands and wives get licensed for pastoral ministry together. And so when my pastors came to my husband and said, Ben, we want to license you, something in the inside of me just began to wrestle and wonder, well, do they, do they not see me ever doing that? Like, do, you know, I've been serving with Ben and, and right alongside each other, doing this thing together, loving on young people, praying for young people, serving the young people's parents and their families. And, and I, I just began to wrestle with this thought of, don't they, don't they see um, what I sense from God, the, the calling that I sense from God on my life, don't they see that potential in me? And I, I begin to wrestle with some feelings and those, those inside voices that we talked about over the last couple weeks. And, and it was a bit of a struggle for me for a bit of a season. And um, here we have Jesus in these passages. Now, by no means am I comparing myself to Jesus, okay? But we're going to look at what we can learn from Jesus' experience, Okay. In Luke chapter 2, we have Jesus here, and, and he's 12 years old, and at this time, uh, in the Jewish custom, that would be the time that he's coming of age, okay? And, and he's going to the feast, and this time he's going as a young man. He's going as a man, and, and this would be the time that young boys would choose their, their profession. They would begin to learn a trade. They would begin to learn the rules and regulations of their faith. And so Jesus is going, and the family goes together. They go to the feast. The feast finishes, and then they pack up, and they start heading home. And they're on a day's journey. And all of a sudden, Joseph turns to Mary and says, hey, well, where's Jesus? And Mary says, I thought he was with you. Have you ever had that, parents? Have you had a moment like that? Come on, I know there's somebody out here. And 
Mary turns to him and says, well, I thought he was with you. And he turns to Mary and says, well, I thought he was with you. And then suddenly the panic sets in, right? Every parent in this place has had this happen one time or another. And if you haven't, just get ready. You might. Okay. I'm not saying that you will, but you might. Uh, and, and so they begin to go, and they're asking the friends, they're asking relatives, they're asking all around, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Is he with you guys? And is he in, you know, hanging out with your, your sons? And everybody's saying, no, 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 no. So they start the day's journey back to Jerusalem. Okay, it's bad enough that they lost the Son of God. Right? How do you lose Jesus? Okay, they forgot him. You're packing everything up. And you forget Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Mary forgot Jesus. She became pregnant. It was a miracle. You forgot the miracle. Okay, they left and they're traveling. But that's bad enough now. They're in Jerusalem and they've been searching for three days, which tells me they don't know their son. They don't know his interests. They don't know where to look for him. They're looking at the skate park in Jerusalem because certainly that's where a young man at the age of 12 would be hanging out, right? They go to, to yogurt land in Jerusalem because he certainly should be hanging out with his friends, getting some froyo. He's not there. They go, go walking along and suddenly they happen to pass by the temple. And they go stomping in, because you know, parents, you go stomping in. You go stomping in. How dare you, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, get over here right now. You know, I, I give my whole, you know, my faith celebration, you know, all the, every name out there. We're throwing it out there in that moment. And she says, what, how dare you? How could you do this to us? And he just looks like, didn't you know? respond, I don't believe, with an attitude. I believe it's more of a perplexed. Like, didn't, didn't you know that this would be where you would find me? That certainly I'd be right here in my father's house. Mom, did you forget about the visitation from the angel that came and foretold about the child that was in your womb? Dad, did you forget about the moment when you were ready to put mom away and, and not marry her, and, and, and yet the angel appeared to you and said, Joseph, don't don't fear to take Mary as your wife for the child. Did you forget? Did you forget that this is where I would be? Right? Then we fast forward to Luke chapter 8, and we see Jesus, and he's now in the midst of public ministry, and crowds have gathered. It was a common thing that happened every time Jesus went somewhere. Crowds would gather, and they're there, and, and, and mom and brothers, they, they want to have a word with him. It's like Pastor Ben would be up here on the stage preaching last weekend or, or next weekend when uh, on Mother's Day. As Pastor Ben's up here preaching, it would be as if uh, Pastor Naomi, his mom, were to come through the door right there and say, Benjamin, Benjamin, can you just come, honey, I need you for just a minute. Benjamin, come, come here. That's kind of what it's like. He's in the midst of preaching the gospel of the kingdom and teaching people about, about God, about, about what's like, the word of God. I mean, the word of God is teaching the word of God. Um, you know, he's there, and he's teaching the people, and she's like, honey, there's a crowd again. Will somebody, somebody please just go tell Jesus we're out here? And his response is, hey, right now in this moment, my mother's, my brother's, they're those that are hearing the word, that are doing the word. Thank God for Pastor Naomi that loves the word of God and is preaching the word of God. And, and you know, she, she understands these moments when we're in the presence of God and we don't ever have to worry about that happening. 
awesome. Then in Matthew 13, we have Jesus, and he's in his hometown. In his hometown. And he's teaching, and they get upset. They get offended at him. They get offended at the, at the profound statements and, and the miracles that are taking place through his life. And what do they say? They say, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's boy? I mean, how could he have all this? How could he do this? This is just, and the Bible says that he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. What this tells me, how does this relate to us in this thought of God of the underdogs, of this thought of, of, of an underdog? It tells me that if people did not recognize the potential in Jesus, then certainly there will be people in our lives that do not recognize the potential in us. If, they, if there were people in Jesus' life that did the very Son of God who came to save the world of their sins, if they did not recognize the potential in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of him doing miracles, signs, wonders, if they didn't see it, they didn't recognize it, then certainly there will be people in our lives that do not recognize our potential. And the question is, how will we handle it? The question is, how do you handle it when you go to your workplace and, and your employer, month after month, month after month, does not see what you have done for the business, doesn't recognize the potential for you to manage that department? What do you do when you come into the, the, the church and, and people don't notice the way you pray and they haven't noticed how much you love God and they haven't noticed how often you've been reading your Bible and you, you're striving to get people to know it? What are we going to do when people don't see our potential? How do we handle it? Number one, we're going to go through these quickly. Number one, we have to understand that it's a part of life. This is simply a part of life. It's a part of life. There will be people in your life that do not see you the way that you want to, them to see you. There will be people that do not see you the way that you want them to see you. And we can respond in a few different ways. We can respond and get upset, get our feelings hurt, cry ourselves to sleep as we lay our head down on the pillow. We can strive to get people to notice us. We can, we can uh, make sure that, man, we post that, 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 that Twitter post on Thursday in the morning at this time. Because if I post it at this time, then the most people have the opportunity to see it. And if they see it, then they might just notice that I'm out here. We, we, we look and try to see how many followers do I have on Instagram and, and have people noticed me on Facebook and, and we can begin to strive to get people to see that we're out there. We can put our videos up on YouTube and hope that maybe it'll go viral. And then finally somebody will see that I'm over here, right here. We can strive to get somebody to notice us or we can do what Jesus did and we can simply just walk in the assurance of the grace of God and be faithful to do whatever God has put before us to do with the best of our ability and just rest in his grace. I don't know about you, but that last one sounds a lot better than the first two. I don't feel like crying myself to sleep at night when I put my head on the pillow. And I certainly don't feel like running myself ragged trying to get people to notice me because I've already been noticed by the one that truly matters. Amen? Amen. Did you know that Jesus's Public ministry lasted about three and a half years. But the preparation for that public ministry was a 30-year process. And yet in this generation, we want it now. We want
want the notoriety now. We want, we want the recognition now. We, I've been in this job for six months already. When is the promotion coming? 30 years. And it was for a three and a half year public ministry. So we can handle the fact that people will not see our potential simply by just coming to terms with it and going with it. Realizing it, understanding that it's a part of life. And number two, we can understand, and this is really the key for us today, understand that we truly have no potential without Jesus. Without Jesus, we have no potential. The only potential that you and I have is found in Jesus Christ and in the cross of Jesus Christ. Any potential that we have is simply by his grace, his mercy, and his love. Any potential that we have is found in him. I love what Jesus said to his mom and dad when they found him in the temple. He said, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? Jesus says, and he communicates something, and he says, it's not about me, but it's about my father's business. It's about my father. It's about him. And, and in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, we have Paul. Paul, an apostle who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament that we have in our Bibles today. Paul is talking about all the disciples and how Jesus appeared to the different disciples. And then he says, Jesus appeared to me last, and it's me, one that was the least of all of them, and the one that was most unworthy, the one that persecuted the church. And But by his grace, I'm an apostle today, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He recognized that it's only by the grace of God that he had any potential whatsoever to be an apostle. It's simply by the grace of God that I am that I am. And first, uh, uh, James chapter 1, verse 17 says that every good and every perfect gift has come down from heaven. It's come from God uh, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. There's no shifting. There's no changing of his mind. Every good and every perfect thing that we have in our lives has come from God. Why do I share that? Well, because I've heard this before and I've even wondered it before that I can look at those outside of the church that don't know Jesus, that don't have a relationship with God, and I can see a level of success. I can see things happening in their life and things and, and them them doing these great things. And I can begin to wonder, well, why they don't even know Jesus? How could they do all of those things? Well, the Bible talks about the gifts of God. The gifts are grace gifts. The gifts of God are given, and it says in the scriptures that they're given without repentance. The gifts of God are without repentance, which means that God has placed gifts on each and every one of our lives. And we can actually function in those gifts and see those gifts active and, and being used outside of having a relationship with Jesus. That's why you see some people that don't know the Lord and aren't relationship with him doing some things and they're gaining a level of success. But how many of you know there's a level of success that you can strive for and reach for, but if you have no peace, man, you have no peace and assurance of where you're headed and where your fate, where your, where your life is going to end up, man, all, every amount of money, man, it's not worth it. But there's a, there's a reason because every gift, every good thing, it's come down from God. It's simply by the grace of God that we have any potential at all. 
And for me, I remember that moment when I had wrestled with some of those thoughts and feelings. And and I finally, I was in a moment of prayer. And I actually wasn't even praying about those thoughts and feelings I was struggling with because I kind of didn't want to admit it to God, you know. You ever been there? Okay. Very little in that. Uh, and I was in a moment of prayer. And in a moment of reading my Bible and praying and, and seeking God and and. I felt and I sensed God speak to me so clearly in my heart. And he said this, he said, Katie, are you waiting for a man or a woman to give you a piece of paper that acknowledges and and, and that has a title on it before you will love the young people and pray for the young people and pastor the young people that I put in your care? Are you waiting for that? Or will you... Simply settle it in your heart that I've chosen you, that I've called you to this. And will you pastor them and love them, whether you have recognition from man or not? And in that moment, man, I was so convicted in my heart. And I, I repented before God. I said, God, forgive me. I'm not doing what I'm doing here today for man to recognize me. And it was, it was years later before I would be licensed as a pastor. But I'll tell you what. Whether I had, would have ever gotten that license or not, I would have continued to love and pastor and minister the people that God put before me. Not because a man or a woman identified or recognized any gifting, any talent, or any potential in my life, but simply because God put them before me. And God said, I want you to love them. I want you to share your life with them. I want you to share the grace of God that I've had on your life with them. And it was a turning point for me. One moment in the presence of God was a turning point. One moment, never underestimate one moment, one opportunity as you're reading the Bible, one opportunity as you're in prayer before you go to work, one opportunity when you're, when you're in the midst of a service like this in worship or, or you're hearing the word of God. You never, never underestimate one moment in the presence of God because it can change everything and it changed everything for me. I went from doing what I was doing to gain approval from man to doing what I was doing simply because God called me to it. And in that, I found peace. Outside of that, I found unrest. I found, I, found, I found insecurity. But inside of his grace and resting in his grace and the fact that he called me, I found great peace. And here's the reality. There, there are people in the Bible. In Mark uh, chapter 14, the, the, Jesus and the disciples were going to go and they were going to have the Passover uh, feast together and and. Later on, we'd understand that this would be the moment that the Lord's Supper would be instituted. And Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go into the town, and you're going to find a man that's walking with a jar of water. And find him, and he's going he's gonna to have a place for you, prepared for you, and then we're going to go, and we're going to go to that place, and we're going to do this together. And so the disciples go, and sure enough, guess what they found? They found a man who was walking with a jar of water. And because that man was willing to do what was put before him to do, I guarantee that man did not know that Jesus, the Son of God, was going to send his disciples to look for him. 
a man that would, would know where there would be a room that, that could be prepared for them to where the Lord's Supper would be instituted, that to this day we honor God in that moment as we, as we take communion together. I guarantee he didn't know that. He was just doing what he was supposed to do that day, and he had a jar of water, and for whatever reason, he was heading a particular direction to do it. He was being faithful to do what was put before him. We don't know his name. And can I say that as we're talking about this God of the underdog, we're not talking about God taking your life and using you and making your name famous. Please hear me. We're talking about God taking you as an underdog and using you to make his name famous. Amen? Because that man's name that carried the jar of water was, we don't know who he is. After he carried that jar of water and showed them that room, we never hear about him again. There's a little boy in John chapter 6 that decided one day, I'm going to go and I'm going to hear Jesus teach. And he got up that morning and he prepared a lunch. And he prepared that lunch, got it all together. He went and he began to hear Jesus teach. And they went on. Jesus is long-winded. We're not that long-winded. Don't worry, it's okay. And he's teaching, he's teaching, he's teaching. And then he says to the disciples, I want you to feed them. The people are hungry. And the disciples are like, we got nothing to eat. Just go find out what you do all day. Guess what they found? They found a little boy who prepared a lunch. And that little boy is never named. He's, he, we don't know who he is, but his lunch, because that little boy did what he was supposed to do that day. He was faithful. He prepared a lunch because he did. A great miracle took place, and over 5,000 people were fed that day. And that's not the, the, the end of the story, but the great thing about that is the fame of Jesus was spread. Man, every one of those 5,000 people that were fed in that moment and experienced that miracle left from that place. And what did they do? They told everybody about what had taken place. They told everybody about Jesus. It's not about Jesus taking you as an underdog and making your name famous. It's about, how, about him using you as an underdog to make his name famous. But when we don't have that understanding and we don't, we walk through life not understanding that the only potential we have is because of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our life, then this is what happens. If we don't rest in the fact that you and I have no potential outside of Jesus, then this is what happens. The Bible becomes just a tool that we look to to give us a formula how we can succeed in life rather than being the word of God that is an incredible love story, a love story that, that, that sends a message to you and I about his mercy, about his grace, about his unfailing love. Rather than it being about that, it becomes something that we look to, that we 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 use because if we go here then we can figure out what we need to do to please God and it becomes about striving to please God and be accepted by God and be, be begin to work to to be accepted by Jesus Christ and and then as we're doing that then what happens is then we look at other people's lives and we look at them and we say well they're not working they're not doing anything they need to get they need to get to work they need to start serving Jesus. They need to read their Bible every day. 
And we begin to judge others. And, and instead of looking at this, this book and, and seeing it as a great love story that, sh- that shares uh, with us a, a message of mercy and grace. Grace, undeserved favor. It becomes a self-help book. And then what happens is we begin to do the things that we do. Read our Bible, pray, share Jesus with people. Because we're trying to earn the favor of God. Rather than, man, when we look to this as a love story. God's love story for you and I. When we look at it that way, man. We read because I got to hear more about his love. We pray because, man, I got to talk to the one that loves me with a love that is unconditional, that never ends, that regardless of what I do or don't do. I look to it and I, I, I pray because I've got to be with him. Because he accepted me in my mess. He accepted me in the midst of my sin. That's why I begin to pray, and then, then I begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, not because I'm trying to earn his favor and for people to look at me and see how good of a Christian I am, but because, man, I've experienced the grace of God in a way that I never thought I could. And there's other people out there that need Jesus just as bad as I needed Jesus. And I share because they need to know. They need to know the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. It changes everything. The moment we realize that outside of Jesus, we have no potential. It changes the way we read our Bible. It changes the way we pray. It changes, it doesn't change the way necessarily, it changes the why. It changes the why. The why becomes because we realize that our potential rests in who he is. In what he has already done. Rather than in who we are. And what we could possibly do. There are um, a lot of people I've been hearing. And and, um, I've been hearing on. Well I haven't been hearing. I've been reading. On Facebook and Twitter and whatever. About the fight back. And there's Christians out. Like posting different things. And people you know saying man. What a great underdog story that could have been. If he would have won, he wasn't expected to win. How great could it have been if he would have won? What could have happened if he would have won? Can I propose something to you? Sometimes in life, when we lose, that's when God gets the greatest glory. times in life when life just throws some blows at you. It's going to happen. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that somehow we're immune to those things. There are times in life when you will lose. And I know as Christians in in the, the flow of church that I've come from that that's hard to understand. What do you mean? God is for me. Who can be against me? 
I'm an overcomer. I'm a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Man, if God's for us, if I would have just prayed a little bit more, then maybe. Oh, can I propose to you that sometimes we lose? And I'm not saying that God caused us to lose, but sometimes we lose. And in the midst of losing, God receives the greatest glory because people look at you and they watch the way you lose. They watch the way that you lose. Will you still honor God if you lose? Will you still worship Jesus when you're in the midst of going through hell in your marriage? Will you still worship God when a fire happens in your church and you lose everything? Will you still have church or will you give up? If I, if I, if I walked away with a message that would say that as a Christian, as a believer, I have potential in Jesus Christ, I am an overcomer, and I should win every single time, then this church would not be happening right now. Because uh, uh, back when, I don't know how many years ago it was, three years ago, whatever, when that fire hit us at Bernie Elementary, and we lost everything, and I had those questions of, God, why? We all ask the question, why, right? And I don't believe that God is scared of that and, 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 and mad at us for that. But I ask the question, why, Lord, what? But you know what? At the end of it all, it's like, no. God called us to this. God is faithful. Our God is good. We've got to know that we will, we will come up against mountains. We will have obstacles in front of us. We will lose from time to time. But in the midst of it all, God is right there. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you because the Bible says it and the Bible is true down to the very word that he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. In the midst of the losing, he is there. And when you walk through those moments when failure happens and he carries you through and you get onto the other side, sometimes the greatest testimonies come out of those moments. Those are moments when your, your marriage walks out stronger than ever before. And it walks out with a testimony that can impact marriage after marriage after marriage. It's in those losing moments, and I guarantee you, Pac-Man, I'm going to call Pac-Man because I don't know how to say his name. Pac. He, I guarantee you, if we asked him today, are you a loser? There would be no hesitation in that man. He said, no, I'm not a loser. I did my best. I fought the fight that was in front of me, and I'm going to move on. Because your circumstances do not define who you are. He doesn't have a title today, does he? But is, he gonna, is it going to stop him from fighting? No. That's, that was the question that God was proposing to me. Katie, if you don't have a title today, will you still love people? Katie, if you don't have a title today, will you still tell them about the amazing grace that I had on your life? I guarantee you, he would not allow one loss to define who he is. But the title that he walked away with last night was a title that he is a son of God. And when you realize that that is the only title that matters, that is, the, that is the only recognition that you need in this life, then that's the moment when you sit back and you rest in his amazing grace. Man, when you rest in that grace, there is so much peace. There is so much joy. Because you know no matter what blow life throws at you, you're going to make it through to the other side. And God is going to use your life under God. 
to make a great impact in the lives of others. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.